Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Welcome to a bonus episode of Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf, and today we have a special interview with one of the candidates running for the HFES president-elect position. Please welcome Camille Paris. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Uh, so, Camille, have you have you ever been on a podcast before? I have actually been on a podcast before. Uh, we have the Ergo Center at uh, Texas A&M, and uh, my colleagues, Martha Parker and Adam Pickens, do a uh, podcast, I think maybe one or two a semester, and so they had me on talking about some of my research on procedures. That's excellent. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. They just, it was, I had no prep for it. I just, they asked me questions about my research, and I'm sure you are both familiar with that uh, academics love, always love to talk about their research, so it was pretty easy. Yeah, it can be a lot of fun to yeah, talk about your research. What's the name of the podcast? I think it's Ergo Center Podcast. I'm a little embarrassed because I'm not positive about that, but I'll get it to you. That's awesome. <laughs> They're going to be irritated. We'll They're cool. going to be irritated, we'll get but it I don't know put a link sure. down below for That'd everyone. be awesome. I'd appreciate that. Yeah, so Camille, uh, the reason we wanted to have you on the show is because I think at least for a lot of people, um, Blake and myself included, uh, we are members of HFES, but we never voted uh and we don't know kind of what the stakes are for voting um and and honestly i think a lot of that comes down to not knowing who is up for what and and kind of what platforms they're taking and so uh blake and my mission here is kind of to take that and to introduce you to our listeners um many of which who are members of HFES. And so uh, I kind of want to jump here into the questions that we have for you. Uh, and apologies in advance. Some of these are not light topics. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to answer some of these. Uh, and I guess what we'll start with is you know, just tell us about yourself. What kind of unique experiences do you have um, that would make you qualified for the HFES president-elect position? Well, you know, that's a really great question, and, uh, and I've really reflected a lot on that um, over the last, uh, I guess, you know, year or so, two years since I've uh, considered running, because I ran last year as well, and um, and I think that there's several, actually. One, I was really fortunate that um, I developed my love and my um, experience with human factors in the city of Houston. And so it was a really, um, it, and I was there at Rice. And so the, um, somebody had camp come, get, a man named um, Andrew Metamer was looking for the local chapter and, um, uh, it had sort of, uh, gone, uh, in a, on a hiatus after they had, uh, sponsored the national meeting. And so he really wanted to get it started again. As an industry member, he worked, um, with a very large, um, oil and gas uh, uh, support company. He really wanted to have a local chapter that um, could support some of the work he needed to do. And um, so we revitalized it, myself and some of my colleagues there. And I was a graduate student at the time. And so I got to really see the benefits of that uh, society and got some leadership positions in it and uh, the networking opportunities that I had there and was president of that chapter several times. And um, so 
that really showed me um, at that local level just uh, that translation of the science to the practitioners. And, and also, because Houston is so large, there's the oil and gas, there's the space business, there's medicine, there's um, computing, um, there's uh, there's so many different, in- the office ergonomics versus also other kinds, a lot of different, um, the UX, um, all kinds of things that were going on that I was getting to learn about this really diverse areas and lots of big businesses, small businesses, and just having that opportunity to see how an organization can really facilitate meeting the needs of all of these different members, as well as the students and the, um, the practitioners and academics themselves. And um, so that was really, um, I think, a very special opportunity that I had that um, I've been then as I got into more uh, national leadership positions, I was really fortunate to be uh, mentored by some of the um, Ken Lockery as uh, well as some of the other um, really seminal people in the field and started seeing how things worked at the national level. And um, and so that was because that's where the, the science is happening there at the, um, the core of HFES, which is a very different beast. I mean, there is some of, you know, there's certainly at the local level, the local level certainly felt to me more about that translation um, of the science to practice. Whereas at the national level, it's all about making sure that this, the, we have that opportunity for the science, that there's the support for it, the journals, the technical groups, the committees to make sure that things are moving. And sort of, I got to learn about the, the machine that is HFES and um, and all the um, what does a journal editor do? What is this review process? Um, how does the the submission process for the journals work? How in the world do they figure out all of these different sessions, parallel sessions for the conference itself? Itself, I mean that is a non-trivial issue right there. And um, so I had the opportunity by being the uh, division chair to be able to see how that worked um, and really uh, see how the machine works. And then when I was secretary treasurer, I worked with Nancy Cook, who was president at the time. And um, just, I really got, and she and I worked very closely together. And so I had the opportunity to really see what it takes to be, and I thought she was exceptional as a president. And um, I really saw what it took to be president the kind of time it takes, um, the kind of diplomacy that it takes, um, and that all of the different um, masters that you have and um, the way that you have to restructure your own work and personal life um, for that period of time because you have to dedicate a lot of your um, time to be able to do that job. And uh, you have to have a job that's going to be able to let you do that as well. And... Um, and so then the other two things that I think uh, uniquely qualify me for this is that um, I've been doing um, work with uh, HF, you know, work for a while now. And I've worked with a lot of different students and mentored a lot of students. I created a human factors program at the University of Houston, Clear Lake. And so I know what it is to have a goal, have identified a need that needs to be filled and create a strategy for that need and then, you know, generate some tactical efforts to 
you know, uh, see that strategy through. And then I really love working with people on that path to be able to fulfill that goal. And working and mentoring students and working with people, I've really, has really humbled me and made me realize to, that the most successful efforts is when you meet people where they are and not expecting that everybody is going to work the same way or be in the same place. And that when I've been the most successful is when I can help people come together towards the same mission and vision and goal, but let them do it in their way and respect their place in space. And that's when I found I've been the most successful. And I think those are the qualities and experiences that I've had that I can bring to the role of president of HFES that would be, that would be beneficial. That last point you had there is almost like human factors in human factors <laughs> as a society. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so I want to get into this next question here because I, this is a, it's a really important topic, especially right now. Um, and you know, I guess my question to you is, what kind of steps will you take to ensure that HFES uh, is a diverse and inclusive society uh, that provides representation for historically marginalized voices? This is a really, really important question, and I'm really actually very glad that you've asked it. Um, and it has to be that people in leadership are comfortable with um, addressing uncomfortable questions um, and difficult questions. Um, and this is actually something that I have been thinking about and fretting over for a while. Um, there was one time that I was in an EC meeting um Several years ago, when we got uh, the results back from a um, climate study that said that people who were in underrepresented groups um, did not feel as comfortable at the annual meeting as um, as the other uh, as the more the majority group, and at that point, I you know was said this is wrong. This is we have to do something intentional about this. And then um, it was about a year or so later that um, I was at the table where um, with some other folks too that and we're all I think pretty proud of it that we came up with the strategic goal um, that uh, about diversity and uh, I don't remember if we had an inclusiveness in it at that time that we created a strategic goal for HFES to address this issue and um, and so if you have it as a strategic goal then that means you have to continue to reflect on it and put action around it and that makes it so that the society, it's easier to justify putting resources towards it, like budgets and people. And so, um, so this is something I've been thinking about for a while. Obviously, it's much more, um, uh, 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 salient right now. And, um, so, but to directly, more directly answer your question, um, if I was elected president, I mean, the first thing, first thing, first steps I would take is to ensure that the actions that were articulated in the, the commitment to the, and I've written it down here, the commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion statement that they came out, that uh, the leadership came out with, it's on the it linked to, it's on HFES.org's homepage, um, that they receive uh, sufficient support in budget and in personnel, because it's, there are some great actions in there. They talk about training for all of the leadership. Um, they talk about, um, uh, you know, looking at uh, our journal articles and making sure that there's important representation there. 
Um, so looking at surveying the membership um, on a regular basis. And so those are things that um, everything that they listed were things that I would say that we need to do. And so as president, I would make sure that they get the resources that they need so that that continues to happen. Um, and so I also, um, they're the, you know, they're the first steps that we would need to take. Um, but I really hope that we have I really would love to, for us to have a specific goal that in five years that uh, you use this phrase, uh, these uh, marginalized voices. I'd love for us to be able to say that, you know, these voices are, uh, we just can't even imagine that five years ago that they were marginalized. They're just so much, they're so clearly part of our song now as HFES that we can't imagine that they ever weren't. And I would love for us to move quickly enough that in five years we would be able to tell a, tell that story. And, um, and I think that, and one of the things that I want to do that I think would move us towards that is, um, is have one day at the annual meeting when we are able to meet face, face to face again, that is synchronously available, um, to people, uh, to groups, um, around the world. So that let's say you have the local chapter at HFES and people who can't travel to, let's say Chicago, let's say the annual meetings in Chicago. And so they, uh, the local chapter at HFES or a group in HFES gets together and uh, students or maybe government people or folks who just don't have a budget, they get together for one day and uh, maybe in a conference center or something like that. And they meet together to uh, be able to experience the content that's being presented at the annual meeting synchronously with the people at the annual meeting. And so they get the benefit of the face-to-face. Maybe there's some food. Obviously, they'd have to pay for it. And they also get to experience the content of the annual meeting. So it's like these satellite conferences. And so that means, because a lot of times the marginalized voices, they're underrepresented, there's a... Um, they also are a lower socioeconomic status. And uh, so this would give them an opportunity to not have to spend that budget for these meetings. They're very, very expensive meetings. We could invite um, high school students there, undergraduate students there. And I think that that would be a mechanism for showing this availability and this inclusiveness. Um, so that would be something, too, that I think would... Uh, would be something that would be bigger and different um, in addition to, but I do think honestly that the, the actions that were articulated in that um, statement are really the first steps that we need to take. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, cause from your perspective, I mean, you came up with a really a lot of great ideas and I think making things easier access is a great way to get closer towards inclusivity and diversity, but just, and this is not listed in the questions, but from your perspective, so those goals and objectives that have been listed out by HFES, do you feel like we're moving towards them or has there really been like kind of a, a stalemate in action towards going that way? Actually, I was just having a conversation with somebody that, yeah, they have, they've, um, they've already set up the trainings for the leadership. Um, they've got, um, sections, um, at the, um, annual meeting, um, planned. And, um, so yeah, there's been specific action, budget, personnel. There's been specific movement towards that. So I think they're doing a due diligence towards that based on what I understand. I mean, I'm not currently on EC. So um, this is, you know, something that somebody 
very reliable sources told me, um, but I have every reason to believe that that's the case. Excellent. And EC, just for our listeners, oh, is executive, executive counsel, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think like Blake said, there's a lot of great ways uh, that you can uh, sort of help by, you know, you, you provided a lot of different examples in which uh, it can help improve. One of those was the satellite conferences. And, and you also mentioned uh, COVID-19. And I want to talk about that a little bit. You know, it's it's also another hard hitting topic. So sorry to lead with those. But, um, you know, I, personally, I think the world will n- never be the same after this. I think, you know, we're going to operate in a very different way. Um, what types of impacts do you believe that uh, COVID-19 has had on the society? And uh, sort of how does HFES function in a post-COVID-19 future? Well, so those are two very important, but I think different questions. So I think as far as the impact that COVID-19 has had on the society, I think that um, maybe two general hand-wavy groups, one group that has maybe three, um, one group that definitely has had the opportunity to show, to really highlight that look what we can do, look how we can help. The, those folks that do human factors in healthcare, those work, those folks that do, um, office ergonomics, that everybody's working from home and, you know, their, um, office, uh, is hurting them. Uh, but those folks that are in um, healthcare and how, how human factors can help the healthcare community, they're really having that opportunity to shine and really help, you know, the, the application, those practitioners that are applying the science, because again, we've got to have both of those folks are really being able to contribute to saving lives. And, uh, and I think there's another group that has, because just like after 9-11, like after hurricanes, we are a group that says, how can I help? What can I do? How can I apply my science, my science to this? And I think there's another group that's seeing that. It's like, well, how can I help? What can I do? And so there's um, a whole other group around that that's seeing that they can apply their work to maybe facilitating the um, some sort of some sort of piece of this. And um, I'm not thinking of a specific example right now. It completely escaped me. But I've seen those, you know, that there's that group of people. And then there's the other group of people, of course, that are just feeling frustrated. And um, there's those that, uh, depending on their industry, you know, if you're in the oil and gas industry, it's not a good time to be in the oil and gas industry. It's a really hard time, whether you're doing human factors or anything else. Um, so I think that it's, um, I think it's been, affected us in a lot of different ways as scientists and as practitioners. As scientists, it gives us a lot of interesting questions, for sure. Um, as practitioners, um, it's, you know, it depends on what, what kind of practice you do. As human beings, it's um, for everybody, regardless of what you're in, it's a very, this is just such a, uh, a hallmark time that... I just can't even, you know, speak the words as far as how uh, much it is going to impact everybody at this time. I think it's the, you know, the five, six, seven, eight-year-olds that will kind of remember this. It's going to impact them. I mean, I think it's just the toddlers that really are clueless, you know, but everybody else during this time, it's going to be, it's going to be a wound in a way more than I think 9-11 um, because we've got nobody to fight about it. 
And, uh, and so we're just, there's this whole strangeness, um, that it is, and particularly now that it's become political. So, and I think we have to acknowledge that it is impacting us. It impacts our person. And if it's impacting our person, it impacts our work. It impacts everything else. And so, um, that's a long answer to that, but I think that that's the truth. And I think that as we're interacting with each other as a society, we have to acknowledge that. And as a leader, you have to realize that people that you're leading and people who are volunteering and trying to help the society are at home struggling with this personally as well. And so I think that's a big piece of it. Um, so how we function in a post COVID world, um, I think that what's happened is we've just kind of catapulted forward about 10, 15 years away from this really, really, really holding, wanting to hold on to this face-to-face stuff. And I'm, I'm guilty. I love it. I love, a, I love me a face-to-face conference. I love getting on that airplane and going, packing my bag and being away for a week and getting to play with my buddies and talking shop and nobody rolls their eyes and gets sick of me talking about my dissertation and drinking with my friends and showing them how I can tie a cherry stem, tie, you know, not in a cherry stem and all that. But, um, We've known, we've seen this coming that the being able to do a webinar in an hour and all of a sudden you have 300 people that register when it used to be that you were lucky if you got 30. And so the, how we do our, how we communicate our science, how we do team science, how we network, um, we just need to, you know, we're a group of really, really smart people and we're doing it right now. We're creating, we're figuring out how to do that differently. All the zoom parties, you know, how do you do mafia on zoom? My students are all over that. And, you know, um, the, you know, movie night that you can do now on, uh, Amazon, you know, that's a way of enjoying something and networking. And so I think that's going to be the post COVID, HFES, as far as how do we do our science, how do we communicate our science, how do we network with each other, we'll continue to play with that. Even though we can see each other face-to-face, now the companies aren't going to be willing to pay as much for travel. And so I think that's going to be a big thing that we're going to see. Yeah, one one follow-up to that. So I, I know um, it'll be an interesting test bed to see uh, how HFES annual meeting does this year with it being all virtual. Um, I have plans to attend that virtual meeting and I'm, I'm curious to see if like, maybe I'll want to jump off with, uh, you know, like a sidebar conversation in a separate zoom call, but have another, uh, presentation up or something. I'm still not sure what the format looks like or how, how everything's going to be organized. Um, but again, I think it'll be an interesting test bed to see, uh, what all that looks like. And, you know, I think, um, depending on what we learn from it, it'll be interesting to take some of those lessons learned forward into the future with like remote conferences or even like you mentioned earlier, satellite conferences. Um, and, uh, you, you know, one thing, I guess, segue, one thing that COVID can impact and especially that these remote events um, can impact is, is membership, right? If, if yeah. they're not, if, if members are not able to get out and go to the thing that a lot of people really value, uh, a lot of members really value, uh, at least that I've heard anecdotally, is that face-to-face interaction. You just said it yourself, right, is being able to go and connect with others in your profession and being able to, 
to talk all the things you love. Um, and so I guess, you know, it's no secret about the declining membership of HFES. Uh, and it, it kind of threatens the long-term um, sustainability of the organization. And I guess my question to you is what kind of steps will you take to help revitalize that um, that membership and, and kind of breathe new life into the society? So I want to, um, if you don't mind, I want to kind of, circle back a little bit to the, your last oh, sure. point yeah, about absolutely. the annual meeting. And then, um, and I think it also talks about membership, but I have gotten to see the interface for the um, annual meeting and, uh, you know, we're all human factors people. So super hypercritical of interfaces. Right. And I have <laughs> zero tolerance, um, and, uh, for a bad interface. And I was really, optimistic. I was, you know, I was watching her click through it and I was like, oh wow, well this, cause every time she would you know, say she was going to do something and then she would like, oh, okay, that's where I would have clicked. Oh, okay. Well, that's where, you know, it was one of those kind of not usability tests, but kind of usability tests. And, um, and it was, it I was, re- it made me way more optimistic about the whole thing than I, I mean, like, an order of magnitude more optimistic about it than I was. And uh, so that, yeah, that made me, it was just so relieving. I can't even begin to tell you. And um, so that was very cool. So I'm definitely plugging and we're trying really hard. Um, I'm working with another woman to try to figure out how to do some fun, happy hours, like maybe, um, you know, wine tasting or chocolate tasting or, you know, games or maybe even stuff that the, can be with the, you can do with the family and all of that kind of stuff. So we're trying to do things like that to have it be a little more engaging. And then one thing I heard about today, back to your point about, do you want to have a separate Zoom on and all of that, that somebody had mentioned to me that she'd done in a previous conference that I thought was a very clever idea. And I think this gets back to we're just going to do a bunch of figuring out we, the collective, the royal we. Um, she said she was at a conference where somebody had set up a Zoom meeting and invited a bunch of people and then had a session going on his Zoom and it invited a bunch of people on his personal Zoom and had invited a bunch of people to it. And then they were just chatting in the chat box. And then during the break, they all talked about the session. And, uh, and she said it was just very personal. She said it was a very warm, fuzzy feeling because it was like their own little, you know, session that they were in just that group. And I thought, oh, it's kind of a, a neat idea, you know, that if you have a group that, um, and he had evidently kind of networked, he told two friends and they told two friends and they told two friends and was kind of how it happened. Um, it could get a little clickish, which would kind of defeat the purpose of networking, but. Um, I just thought that was a neat idea as well. And I think to sort of get to your point about the membership, um, I think that one, I've, I've always thought that we need to leverage the local, mem- the local chapters more. Um, we need to uh, really be able to see what's going on at that local level at that, with the industry folks so that they're not, that the annual meeting isn't the only game in town to get membership, um, and, and, um, and people getting engaged and feeling, really feeling like there's, um, a part of it so that, you know, a name that's on the ballot. I think your point about, you know, well, I know that when I get ballots that I don't know anybody's name, I just feel like a poser if I'm voting for somebody because it's just, you know, arbitrary. 
Um, but if you have somebody that you know at the local level who did like I did, and then you start doing different leadership stuff, then it is a little bit different. And that might get people more engaged in HFES generally. Um, maybe doing more of these virtual conferences where people feel more engaged generally. But I think the thing, the biggest thing is the groups that are, you know, that we're just sort of bloodletting, which is, you know, folks about y'all's age that are early mid career, you know, where are, where are they paying membership dues, you know, or are they? And, and if they are, what are those organizations doing? And are those things that make sense for us to do? And, um, now they may not. I went to a, com- a conference one time where they had a, um, a half pike with motorcycles in this big conference area. And I just thought, that's cool, but we're probably not going to do that. Um, but those are some of the things. And also finally, um, the Smith Buckland is the association management company that we, you know, that uh, manages us. And they are experts at this. And so one of the reasons that we hired them was to help us increase our membership. And so we need to leverage their expertise and kind of say, okay, do your job, you know, increase, help us increase our membership. Of course, they can't do it. We have to help them, you know, kind of work with them. But we need to have them uh, give us that plan and make that start happening and uh, have that strategic goal with the tactical, you know, efforts and then, and then be more visible about it and have it so that the membership is seeing, you know, this is, this is what's happening right now to increase membership. This is what's happening right now in the last, you know, month to increase diversity. This is what's happening or inclusivity, I think is more important than diversity. Really. Um, this is what, so that people really see and know what's going on. Yeah, that's interesting. I, so you're saying there's no half pipes coming to HFES? That's a bummer. But <laughs> maybe just. But I mean, I th- maybe just skating. Maybe not a motorcycle. <laughs> Good compromise. But I think I think I think it's interesting that you brought up multiple avenues, and and that's kind of a theme that I'm I'm sensing here is that there's not just one answer to all these, right? And it's it's multiple um, avenues, and I think. Uh, you know, coming back to that local level thing, right? I know there's a couple of us here in San Diego that have been trying to get this ch- chapter started up again. Um, and uh, I think, you know, those local levels uh, kind of have a, a larger impact than people might think, right? Especially it, it kind of all ties together with your point ar- around um, hosting those satellite conferences for, for, you know, socioeconomic folks who may not be able to, um, attend or, or even um, the coronavirus in um, making it so that way we all have to be remote or, you know, it, making it easier to be remote. Uh, I think it all kind of plays in together. That's really interesting. Um, you know, and I, I think uh, one thing that a lot of folks kind of look at um, with organizations is uh, kind of what's in it for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um they look at these as like professional and personal growth. And so if they sign up for a membership, they, they want something back. Um, what do you think about sort of the current value of HFES membership to members? And then, you know, is it enough first off? And then sort of, if not, how can we help provide uh, more value? Yeah. So the, um, that's interesting. Um, I think for the academics, 
it's uh it's pretty obvious because it's this it's the scientific core you know and that's our job is this you know we live and breathe journals um you know you've got the journals there and so it's this the tgs are there and that's you know you publish your conference you mentor your students you've got this it's this whole system that is uh, was originally set up for that right that was sort of the uh, the original system and and i'm really glad that we've expanded and it's it would be we have to have both sides because otherwise it would be um, we just have this whole bunch of science that wasn't actually doing anybody any good. So, um, but I think, so for academics, it's, it's pretty straightforward, um, with regard to, or at least, and, and this is what I've been told by my colleagues. Um, the student, anyway, so I think the challenge more is for those industry folks. Um, and I think the, the value is, uh, is, is harder there. And, um, I think that what I see in my, with my industry folks, my colleagues, and I know a lot, a lot of industry people, um, because of my work with, um, HFES in Houston, right? At that local chapter. And all of them, the value for it was the networking. And we had one, uh, and the meetings that we would have. We had this have. I miss them. I'm in, I'm in college station, so I'm not with them nearly as much as I used to be, um, because I moved to Texas A&M, which I love, 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 love my job, but I do miss my, uh, uh, regular connection with my Houston colleagues. But one day a year have a local meeting. Uh, and, um, so the local industry, you know, people, academic people would come and present and I'll talk to each other and usually get about a hundred people there and have some food and the students are there and, um, and they are so great about supporting the students and everybody gets to know each other. Students find jobs. Uh, the industry people get internships. They get, you know, jobs filled. They, so everybody was getting value out of that. And, um, and so that was, you know, the, I think the challenge is then, um, having that experience, uh, replicated, uh, when you, uh, how much bigger does it need to be at that national level? How do you make that and translate that at the national level or have it so that people see they're going to get that at the national level? And so what is it that, you know, folks like you need, you know, what are your needs for, you know, networking or, you know, um, distributing your show or supporting the work that you, you know, your day job or, you know, those kinds of things. And I think that kind of goes back to, you know, where is it the folks that um, are in that demographic? Where are they? What conferences are they going to? Where are they paying dues? And why are they doing it there instead of with us? And, um and know too that we're not going to meet everybody's needs. We have to be aware of that. Um, and so looking and, you know, seeing what, what does value mean? And, um, and so it's a really tough question. Um, and I struggle that with that word value. Um, for me, the value is in, you know, the people that I meet. And so for instance, Here's a, a, a question about how do I value this? How do I put a value on this? So I did all that work with HFES, made some really great colleagues and met some wonderful people and started my job at A&M. 
And, uh, one day I'm sitting, I just thought about this off the top of my head. So sitting there at my desk and trying to figure out how am I going to become a tenured professor here? I just gave up tenure at Clear Lake, right? What research now grants? I've got to apply for grants. I've got to write papers. I've got to do this. And a colleague of mine, um, calls me and says, Hey, we're going to be funding this grant with um, our company, major, 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 super big oil company is going to be funding a grant through the Process Safety Center there at Texas A&M with another company on procedures. But I only want to do it if you're going to be on it. And I mean, I don't think I'd been at A&M for four months. I had not done any work on procedures in oil and gas or process safety or in zero, not a goose egg. And, uh, I said, well, um, why me? Well, I know you do really good work. Um, I know you I used your, re- some of your research on another domain and auditory displays. And I know it's your science is really good. And then I can know that this is going to have real human factor science if you do it. And it was not, so I'm going to be starting a whole new line of research if I do this, which is not good for a junior faculty, right? You can't have too many lines of research. And so, but it was just, you know, something in my hand, a little bitty tiny something. It was not a big grant. And uh, I said, okay. And that has turned into my major line of research. It's a very strong. We've done some seminal work in it. Um, I've worked with industry and, and I've had industry partners tell me that they have changed the way that they do, they write procedures because of some of the work that we do. So I feel very comfortable that I can say, you know, we have made that domain safer and uh, which just gives me chills. That's really important work. And, um, because of some work that I did with HF, service work I did with HFES. So I don't know, how do I value that? What kind of, so that's why I struggle with putting a value on that. Yeah. I, I want to follow up just so for, at least for me and Blake, maybe, maybe it's different for you, but uh, for someone like me, I think one thing that I'm looking for from an industry uh, side of things is sort of what, what types of lessons learned can I um, or applications can I pull out of some of that research that's being done at the academic level? Mm. And I guess my question to you, I know this isn't prepared, but, uh, and this is just to kind of satisfy my own curiosity is, is, is there a way or a pathway that, uh, the requirements for journals can almost require or, um, encourage, uh, sort of that application piece, right? I know a lot of authors include it, already but if if it was kind of a required piece wouldn't wouldn't that sort of encourage more um critical thought about how these uh, studies can be a- uh, applied to industry um I, I don't know it's just again a question to kind of satisfy my own curiosity there well i think that um it's an interesting challenge i think yeah yeah you're right there is the we've all and <laughs> i see so many Students and academics really, really struggle uh, with that um, because some people do that much better than others. Um, and then um, sometimes it can be entertaining, um, which maybe I should have said, but anyway. <laughs> That's great, though. <laughs> um, so at the, I think the challenge, or here's my guess about that, is that 
I'm guessing you probably wouldn't necessarily want to read a full journal article about the science as much as you would want to read or even hear a presentation about the application of the science. Is that correct? That's it. I want the bottom line. I want to know what can I do uh, to incorporate this into like, I trust you. You've done the research. I, I can, you know, go and read it if I want. But what's the bottom line? How can I imply or how can I apply this to my own work? And I think that that would be a so that could be something that uh, human factors could do is have maybe a webinar series of recent papers that have come out and just j- targeted at, ooh, this be a really cool idea, right? Is that, ooh, this might be something that y'all could do. This be fun. <laughs> is, um, is to say, you know, so here's this paper that's come out and maybe have the author and somebody else talk about what the application could be. Um, and a webinar might be nice too, because then you could have those questions uh, where people then could ask about it, industry folks that say, well, what about this application? And then, too, to push the academic. That's one of the things that um, in, in my consortium on procedures, I have a board of industry partners, and we have this very important two-way relationship. So they keep me honest about what are the really important uh, challenges that they're dealing with, what are the really important questions that are going on out there to kind of keep me out of my ivory tower. And I keep them honest with regard to scientific integrity. And sometimes I don't give them the answer that they want and they just have to deal with that. And um, so that's kind of the, this relationship that we have and, um, and Oh yes, by the way, I am going to publish it. And so um, it's a really, uh, I think that's an important relationship. And I think if we had more of those, then, then Nicholas, you'd be getting kind of more of what you're looking for. Um, and I'd really like to facilitate more of that happening. Um, but I think that would be a great kind of tool for human factors to do. Ergonomics and design is supposed to be that. Um, but I don't know that it's as direct of, you know, let's take a scientific paper and then just take the guts of it and apply it. Yeah, that's a super cool idea. And I think uh, it almost, uh, it, it benefits everybody, right? We're talking about that value uh, for everybody, right? If if you had people in these webinars, then they could push the authors on some of these questions that they might not have thought about. And it could potentially spawn additional research on that topic based on some of the conversations that they have. It also sort of promotes their work as well. So not only are people getting that application piece, but the authors are getting something out of it, too. I think it's a great idea for a forum um, to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, I know we're running a little long here, but I want to ask one more question. Uh, And we kind of talked about a lot today. Um, but I know a lot of people kind of want to know what the way forward is or, or what the future would hold if you were elected. So what does your roadmap look like for your time as the HFES president-elect through the uh, through your time as immediate past president? Um, so I want to caveat this by saying that uh, I have seen enough in my time on EC and all of that to know that you never know what's going to hit you. Sue did not know that COVID was going to hit. Uh, Nancy did not know that Lynn was going to resign. So you never really know. And uh, so with that caveat, assuming that all stays equal, 
Um, as president-elect, um, I would uh, want to support the current and past president in managing the COVID issues uh, and really namely the budget and, and the events and really kind of let's kind of get through this. Let's kind of wrap this up and really be a support for them. And that's really the president-elect's job is to uh, kind of get their feet under them, begin their uh, what they're wanting to do as president while they're supporting the uh, current president. Um, I'd really want to continue as, to support and push issues associated with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and, and I would want to ensure that we get that first round of measurement and training for leadership with a report to the membership. I'd like to see something come out specifically to the membership about this is um, what we found and this is what we're going to do with it. I'd like to really work on the relationship between the association, uh, our management association and membership. There's been some real bumps in the road with um, our, our management association. And for those who do give some time um, to uh, HFES, um, they uh, have ex- expressed some frustration. And, and the management association has done some really, really wonderful things for HFES. And it was a huge transition to go from being um, paying for paying rent and paying staff and um, and those oh my gosh were such wonderful wonderful people it was a privilege to know and work with them to this management association and it's been there have been some big big bumps in the road and I'm afraid that there's been a little bit of trust that's been lost and so I want to work on figuring out a way forward to see if we can regain that and a very specific and public path forward um, on that. I'd like to start in the process regarding the synchronous day of the annual meeting and these sort of satellite conferences. So I'd want to start that process because um, that will take a while. And there'll be a lot of people who tell me that I'm crazy and that it's a bad idea. And so, um, but I'm used to that. So um, I will push forward. Um, so as president, I would continue to work on that process, um, and then support again, really hard support the issues, um, associated with diversity, equity, inclusion. I want to, and then establish some clear goals for this strong relationship between the management association and the membership so that we can really have some strong footing, um, about how the membership's going to be, how we're going to be organized and managed. And that's going to include, um, the uh, membership drive and how we're going to in a plan for increasing membership. And, uh, and that's going to be about meeting members needs, right? How do we meet members needs? Um, how do we keep, and you know, keep that moving forward. And, um, and so then, uh, and then regularly, I really want to regularly communicate strategic goals to membership. Um, the, uh, the executive council, uh, actually puts a lot of effort on a regular basis, probably like every three or four years into revising and writing those strategic goals. And, um, and I would say 99% of the membership maybe knows that they're there, probably hasn't looked at them. And, um, and we really, don't talk about, okay, this year, this is the movement we taught, we made towards these strategic goals. And I, I'd like to change that. I'd like to, you know, be able to say, you know, these are the specific, specific steps towards that we made towards these. 
And because ideally what you want to do is accomplish some of them and then they roll off and then you add new strategic goals, right? If you're still, you know, trying to get to the same strategic goal, then it's either a bad goal or you're really screwing up somewhere. So, um, and that's the leadership, you know, the leadership's job is to create those strategic goals and to keep the organization on, you know, moving, keep the, everybody moving towards those things. And so then it's that you kind of push things down to the committees and the division chairs and the TGs and say, okay, this is, tell me how you guys think we should do this tactically. This is where we want to go. This is what we want to do. Now you guys tell me how we should do it tactically because they're the ones that are going to do it. And, um, and that with the support of the people that we're paying. And so, um, so that's something that I would, I would like to be able to do is, um, and then as, uh, as past president, you're just supporting the people that are coming and trying to clean up any messes you've made. And, uh, and so that's probably what I'll be doing. I would really would not like to plan any further ahead than that, given what I've seen of, uh, many of my, uh, past president colleagues. So. So I guess uh, one last follow-up. Uh, mm-hmm. It's your it's your last day on the job. Uh, immediate past president, last day. What do you hope your legacy would be for HFES? Um, I hope... Uh, I really hope my legacy is that there is a, a stronger connection uh, with the uh, the local members members at the local level that's a good one blake any other follow-up questions i don't really have any follow-up questions but i really i just wanted to mention that i really like the idea of trying to make some of the actions that the executive council or the ec is making more transparent or known to a lot more of the community and maybe even outside of the community itself because i feel like that kind of understanding where the organization is trying to go is just a great way to one, get people excited about what is being done, but also clue them into like what's going on behind the scenes to get them more involved and more invested in what HFES is doing. Yeah, I think because otherwise it just seems like it's the man behind the curtain. And, uh, and it's funny because I know that many, the perception is, is that that's intentional and that this is the good old boys club and all of that sort of stuff. And, uh, and I think that it's really just that everybody thinks that it's remarkably boring and, um, it's, but then after you're, after it's done, it's not, it's exciting. And, um, so I think it's just the, you know, how do we communicate effectively? And because what happens at these EC meetings is they're two day meetings two and a half days. Um, historically they have been. So you get in Thursday night. Um, or it used to be get in, no, get in. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So you sit in this room, this conference room with about 20 people and in this big round table for eight hours and talk about agenda items and talk about, you know, there's this entire book that you've read of reports before you got there. And it's like 300 pages. And so you're talking about all these different committees and all these different. So it's kind of overwhelming and it's kind of daunting. So it feels very, um, at the time, it just feels like, oh my, feels like a little bit of a tedium at the time. But then as you 
I think as I ref- had, I've had some time to reflect on it, just how, no, actually, this is pretty big. This is pretty cool. This is, people would want to hear about it. Um, maybe I shouldn't have told people that part. Now they'll never want to do it. But, um, the, uh, but I think that that's part of it too, is that I think people sort of assume that it just feels tedious at that time. And so then maybe people wouldn't want to hear about it. So it's not as nefarious as it seems as far as uh, it not getting out. But I think we do need to be more intentional about getting those actions out. You're absolutely right, Blake. Very cool. Well, I think that's it from us for today. Uh, let us know what you guys think of this interview. Um, I know the email link has been sent out. Uh, I think the, the voting link has been sent through email. Uh, we'll also include a link below in the description if uh, if you want to click on that. Camille, thank you so much for uh, your time and, and patience with us as we um, you know sat through uh, this interview. So I just want to check in with you. Where can our listeners find you if they want to connect with you or know more about you or your platform for HFES President-Elect? Happy to hear from him uh, on my LinkedIn page or uh, or my Twitter handle. I think excellent, and we'll uh, we'll have the links to those uh, also in the description. Uh, Mr. Blake Arnsdorf, thank you for being on the show. Where can our listeners go and find How you? You guys can always find me across social media at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I'm. Uh, you can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Camille, at the end of the show, we like to say it depends because, you know, in Human Factors, things always. So I'll count us down on on, uh, three. We'll say it depends. Ready? One, two, three. It It depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.